0: Hi, this is Andrew Main and the Maniac Podcast, where I do my best to answer your questions. Let's jump right into things with our first question, and this is from Seth. He writes, Hi, Andrew. I'm a magician, and I have some of your products, which he says are amazing. What is your thought process when designing a new effect? Well, Seth, in answer to your question, when I try to come up with new magic, I think about it in one of two ways. Either I think about what would be really cool to see visually, what would I like to see that I've never seen before. For instance, my trick Gut Buster, where I shove my arm through somebody's body and you see it burst out of their chest, was something that I thought would be really neat to see, especially if you could see the skin rip, and then I had to figure out how to do that. And well, that's a secret. Another way is I think about what would be something really interesting to happen. On the TV show, often... I'm taking things from people, making them vanish, or doing strange stuff to them, and having them end up in places that are maybe a little bit inconvenient, because I'm curious to see how would you respond, what'll happen if your cell phone ends up inside of a pickle jar, or your driver's license is behind glass you're not supposed to break. Now, I don't do this to be mean, I do it because it's going to be interesting. I know the person I'm doing this to is going to have fun, and I think for those of us watching, It's a part of the story that we want to see unfold. How will they get themselves out of that situation? If it's pickle jars, they go for the lowest jar, but chances are all of them are going to fall. They want to get their driver's license from behind glass, they're going to have to break some glass, and that might cause another problem, like an alarm going off. So the short answer to your question is, I either say to myself, what do I want to see, or what kind of conflict or situation do I want to create? And from there, I create a magic trick that suits that. Dennis Owen writes in to ask two questions. The first one is, what's your favorite segment so far? There have been a lot, Dennis, to be honest with you. When I was stealing people's cars right under their noses, that was pretty awesome. It's like doing a close-up trick, like stealing somebody's watch, but doing it something so big that when I pulled it, people were just dumbfounded. And being right there, just a few inches away from their reactions was priceless. It's one of my favorite moments in magic ever. Another favorite example would be when I was reaching through the window at the restaurant and stealing things off of people's tables. They were so confused. They had no idea what was going on. Even as they would watch my hand reach through and steal something and go back to my side of the window, they couldn't understand. Was this something supernatural? Was this a magic trick? Who was this weird guy doing it to them? And I had to do everything I could to keep from laughing and cracking up every time I pulled that on somebody. We've got some really awesome stuff coming. In fact, maybe the best to come. We're going to do a stunt where you're used to magicians getting out of things, and I'm going to play that a little bit differently. I'm going to put people into uncomfortable situations and do this in a couple different ways. Coming up, I'm going to take two strangers. These are people who've never met each other, and I'm going to kind of connect them to each other without them knowing or really wanting that to happen. And it was... Funny, it was hilarious, it was also kind of creepy because I'm going to do this in a dark underground parking lot where I sneak up on them like a serial killer. But instead of murder, I bring delight and mayhem. They don't see it that way at first, but eventually they come around. Dennis goes on to ask, Is there any reaction I loved but wasn't able to get a release for? No, to be honest with you, the best reactions were people that Maybe we were a little bit shocked or surprised, but had a lot of fun with it, and they were very cool about it. We were pretty good at getting people to sign the releases. And part of that is, I try to make very sure that anybody I do this to is going to have a good sense of humor. Sometimes people say, man, I'd hate for you to mess with me, or people on Twitter are afraid that if I messed with them, that I'd make their life difficult. But the truth is, I look for somebody who's going to have fun with it. If you're not going to have fun, I don't want to mess with you because I don't want to do that to you. I am about fun and wonder and mischief, but the emphasis on fun and wonder and mischief. Mark writes in with another question relating to creativity. He says, Hey, uh, it seems that most magic has been, by the way, he wrote, Hey, uh, I just want you to know, that's not me mispronouncing it. He says, it seems that most magic has been very similar for the past hundred years or more, but you have published a plethora of unique magic tricks. Does something inspire this creativity, or is there some way you could recommend to someone else to find creativity, especially in making magic effects? Congratulations on the great show. Well, Mark, what I try to do is to go look for areas that haven't been really explored. We've done 13 episodes of Don't Trust Andrew Maine. I don't do a single card trick, and if you look at my magic creativity and the things I've tried to create, I've done a couple card things, but not a lot. And I love card tricks. I've got a deck of cards right in my hand right now, actually, to pick it up. But my point is, I have nothing against card tricks or any other kinds of classic magic. But when I want to expend creative energy, when I want to spend time creating something, I want to create something new. And the easiest way to do that is to go where other people haven't been before or is not as likely to have been before. If I take out things like decks of cards or card tricks because there are billions of them and I start with something that's not used as much, it becomes a lot easier. Now, looking around my desk here, I've got cups, I've got paper, I've got pens, I've got books, I've got Sharpies, I've got uh, USB sticks. There's a lot of objects here that would be great for magic, and if I just pick up one of them like a Sharpie, I could start to think, what could I do with this that would be fun? And one of the things I do is I think about what's the inherent nature of this object. A magic marker, it's a permanent marker, it's meant to write things permanently, so that's part of what's important about it, and maybe I would play upon that, and that could be You know, maybe I do something where I draw something on somebody's arm that's not supposed to go away because it's permanent, but I maybe make part of it go away. Maybe it's a funny picture and they go to wash it off and still some of the picture's left and it's even more embarrassing. Use your own imagination. But that's just the way my brain works. If I just pick something up and say, what could I do with this? Now that trick may have been done before, who knows? But the point is, if you pick something different, go in a direction that nobody else has been before, you're much more likely to come up with something new. And my advice to you is play with objects that people are very familiar with. Look at things in social situations that people are used to and think about what you can do differently. And for our last question, we have one from Ken who actually recorded it and sent it in himself. I'll let him take it away. Hey, Andrew. Since I was seven, I wanted to believe there were seropods living in the remote African jungle. As a cryptozoology fan, which cryptid do you hope most turns out to exist. Also, which cryptid do you think is most likely to be real? Great job on the show. I watched it with my 11 and 7-year-old kids and they think you're the coolest. Those are two awesome questions. For those of you new to some of the stuff I'm involved in, one of my pastimes is I love weird stuff. I have the website weirdthings.com and I record a podcast with my buddies Justin Robert Young and Brian Brushwood where we talk about this exact kind of thing. So, Ken's asking, what's my favorite cryptid that I'd hope to turn out to be real? So, cryptid being one of those mythological animals, these things like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or the Ogopogo dinosaur that he referenced, the sauropod we thought could maybe be in Africa. As far as the one that I hope turns out to be real, and I guess I gotta kind of overcome my thinking of, well, we just know that couldn't be. But if I would choose one, maybe a unicorn. A unicorn would be really kind of awesome. I like Bigfoot. But I'll get into that in just a moment, but unicorns would just be kind of mind-blowing. If you could have one, man, you could really impress the girls. Forget a Lamborghini, just tell them you've got a unicorn and you're set for life. Or until the unicorn runs away. As far as which cryptid or mythological animal do I think could most likely be real? Well, we know that there are very, very big squids living in the ocean and all sorts of sea monsters that are very large, that just stay away from our ability to define them, that wouldn't be the most surprising if we found a monster squid. We have whales that we look on their bodies and we see scarring on them from very, very large claws from the tentacles of squids, which implies there's some big creatures down there. So I don't think that would be really surprising to anybody. As far as a little bit more out there in the cryptid space, the Abominable Snowman or the Yeti is something that seems pretty far-fetched, but... There's evidence, and again, it hasn't really been confirmed, that in looking at what have been examples of what we think are Yeti fur or Yeti bone fragments, a scientist claims that he's found traces of DNA that would link it to a very old polar bear, like a a species of polar bear that existed maybe 20,000 years ago. Again, this is sketchy stuff. It hasn't been verified, but It's entirely possible to me that there could be some species of bear in the Himalayas and other places where we have reports of the abominable snowman that meets some of the criteria of the Yeti. Now, it might look kind of like a normal bear, but maybe it has a different color fur. Maybe it goes upright a little bit more. Maybe it's a little more ferocious. Maybe its snout is shaped differently. I would not think it impossible. Maybe a little unlikely, but that's the one that I think could be most likely to be true other than sea monsters, which of course are real. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Maniac Q&A Podcast. If you have any questions, just send them to questions at andrewmain.com, and I'll do my best to answer them. Remember to watch Don't Trust Andrew Main every Monday on a and And also, if you want to have some extra fun, check out the themainexperiment.com. Again, that's mainexperiment.com. You'll need to use a desktop or a laptop and a Chrome browser, but it's a magic trick online where I try to read your mind. Pretty cool. Until next time, I'm Andrew Maine, keeping it weird.